Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osher continue their discussion on Article 23 of the Augsburg Confession. In this episode, Adam, Brett, and Jason talk about matters of sexual immorality and marital intimacy. While they endeavor to keep things appropriate, it may be wise to preview the episode before having your children listen to it. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here. Go anywhere grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. All right, welcome back. We're here for part two of uh, talking about Article 23 of the Augsburg Confession. Marriage of priests or priestly celibacy? Sounds... Good. It's riveting I stuff. Think, yeah, I was gonna oh, say, if this were, if you were listening to this at bedtime, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> put you to sleep. No, I think there's so much ground the church has to cover, and yeah. and I mean, we talked about this. I mean, in completely unrelated fashion, back when we started doing our episodes on eschatology, is what you the situation here is is not only a bad theology for hundreds and hundreds of years, but you also have an unwillingness to talk about uncomfortable topics. And that leads to itself a problem. Yeah. You have a self-perpetuating mess. We need to change that. No, we, we're, we're doing our part. Hope, I mean, hopefully... The, if, we ha- if we claim we have the truth, yeah. and we do claim, and if we have the truth, and we do have the truth, we, no subject of biblical importance should be taboo. It can be done delicately. It can be done with tact. But we shouldn't avoid it just because it's difficult or even controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, biblical truth on our side, we're, we're just relaying the words of God. God himself is pretty explicit in discussing these things. So yeah. I think we can can be too. Agreed. All right. Sounds good. Um, well, you know, if you haven't looked at this recently or if you listened last week and want to refresh yourself, uh, find your copy of the Augsburg Confession, read Article 23. We just read part of it last time, but um, we started to discuss uh, this topic, and that led to a, dis- a really good discussion of uh, purity culture and, and uh, related topics. Uh, but as we get back to talking about marriage of priests, and, and maybe we'll venture off into some other related topics like that, uh, but <clears throat> what, was the, what was the real purpose for them to defend this, uh, this action of, of preventing priests from being married? I really think you have to couch this in the terms of of an improper understanding of justification and sanctification, where it goes back to the things that we do make us and keep us holy. But but then really this becomes an exercise in defending church doctrine for the sake of church doctrine. Both of those go, are going on. So so maybe best construction from our perspective for what the Roman Catholics are doing is is pl- keeping a high uh, opinion of the priesthood. Is probably what some of the more faithful people are trying to do. Yeah, but but it becomes just a matter of defending tradition for the sake of tradition. Hmm. Yeah, we we don't do that, right? Never. Oh, never. never we never, never have our own sacred cows, yeah, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, but I think it's instructive for the way to, for us to study the way in which the Roman Catholics defend this in the Confutation. And again, just to get out there, as we do every series. The confutation is not now the official Roman Catholic response right. to Lutheran, but it was the initial response. 
And it's important to distinguish that. And everyone involved, almost everyone involved, will say it's not a good response. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have the Roman confutation. You still have in the modern Roman Catholic Church the issue of priestly celibacy. So all of this becomes relevant for us. The Roman Catholic confutation against Article 23 opens up by saying that the marriage of priests is the worst abuse in the priesthood. Uh, right there in the confutation. And to that, the modern Lutheran response is, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's where you're going to go? <laughs> and, and why would they call that? How would they even begin to make that assertion, that this is the worst abuse in the priesthood? Again, it goes back to that idea of sanctity. That that the my estimation anyway, and I'm again not a Roman Catholic apologist. My estimation is because they view the priesthood and the monastic life. So priests, monks, and nuns all have a holier calling than ordinary everyday average Joes. So priests, monks, and nuns are more important than the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker is how it ends up being. Uh, so. We have to ferret out things that are below that. So that's the one thing. And so that, that's where you get to the Gnostic end of things. Sure, like we talked about last week. Yeah, uh, the other side of things, you have the whole problem with monasticism and by proxy the priesthood, because monasticism comes out of this environment of wanting to remove yourself from a worldly life of temptation. And, and so the, the monks are cutting themselves off because of the temptations and, and trying to live isolated lives. And what that ends up being is that you cut yourself off from the neighbors God has put in your life. Now, we can pause there. Some monastic communities are the exact opposite of that. In, in, in the very first monasteries, I actually just read an article about this in Biblical Archaeology Review, hmm. the, the very first monasteries in the Middle East are integral to the life of a rural kind of agrarian community. Uh, they, they were incredibly They were serving helpful. their neighbors. They were yep. serving their neighbors. Yep. So it, it's, it's not a fair blanket time, but... At the time that Luther arrives on the scene, and in, in, in really a couple hundred years before that, uh, the monastic separation led to monastic elitism. And so that you're not there among the rabble anymore is what ends, ends up being. Now, in, in the monastic lifestyle, you take vows yeah. as well. And I think some of the vows... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, would be to chastity or in, in, in chastity in that sense of what we would call celibacy or abstinence. abstinence. Yep. Uh, and so, as I understand it, is there is there an issue maybe with the breaking of those vows? The the issue where you, you've taken this vow of celibacy and now all of a sudden you've you've changed that you've broken a vow before God. Is there any is there a term limit on vows? Because vows can be for you know and a vow can be for a, a period of time. Well, but is there is there that as part of the concern well, too? By coincidence, one of the Roman Catholic problems with dealing with it is the vow, and 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 you know they they immediately move to the issue of they've made a vow they've got to honor it. And the Lutherans are saying, well, if they made a vow under pretense, the vow is not good. In, in, in a couple times, one is here, 
And then a couple other places in the apology to the Augsburg Confession, Melanchthon will cite that, that if if these vows have been made under duress, the vow's not good, and that's in Roman Catholic canon law. Sure. And, and especially in the Middle Ages, and up to Luther's day, and I don't know how far beyond Luther's day, we need an actual church historian to come in here and say that, uh, oftentimes you would find yourself a priest or a monk or a nun because you were like the third or fourth child in a family. Hmm. And they just, you know, it's, it's hard to raise a big family. It's even harder to raise it, you know, when everyone's poor except the top one half of 1%. Sure. And and all of that's going on. And, and that's specifically what Luther and Melanchthon are targeting with, with all of this is that, you know, wealthy families is like, okay, we got six kids. One is the heir. We maybe deal with, you know, the daughters we can marry off to other rich guys, Right, but you know, what are brother we do number with four, yeah yeah, 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 you know, Harry. What are we going to do with him, <laughs> Prince Harry? Um, I envision this guy with like crossed eyes, kind of sitting in the back corner, like <laughs> just not talking to anybody. Like the uh, oh, character on some movie. Yeah, we don't talk about. Is that? Are you talking about Canto yeah. with the song? Yeah, we don't ma- talk about. I Br- forget. Maybe Bruno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't talk about Bruno. I don't. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but hey, he doesn't have crossed eyes. But yeah, something like that. Yeah, where is the brother that's kind of like. Oh, hi. The, you know, the black sheep the walls, in the family. Yeah. Making but friends with mice, yeah. It's a legitimate problem that they would just get thrown into the monastery or the abbey or the convent or whatever the case might be. And, and you know, the, the Lutheran reformers are walking around with their hands up wondering, why does this count? If, if they were forced into a vow, I mean, at that point in time, if that's how Christianity is functioning, there is no difference between Islam and Christianity. Because the forced confession in Islam is valid, you know, there, the, the whole there's only one pro, you know, one mm-hmm. God and blah, blah. I don't Muhammad. want to say it out loud yeah, on the air right, just yeah. in case. Uh, yeah. Superstition or something, right? Sure. Uh, but that's what's going on. And so the, the Roman Catholics, the authors of the confutation immediately pivot to what your concern is with the nature of a vow. Now, that opens up an entirely different can of worms from what we talked about last episode, and that's the topic of asceticism. Or if you're from a different part of the country, asceticism. Asceticism, I was yeah. going to say. Asceticism, asceticism, asceticism yeah. however you pronounce it. Concupiscence. Con, yeah. Con- nope. Uh, <laughs> concomitance, uh, all of that stuff. Yeah. But voluntarily suffering on a material level, where does that get us? And what is the value? And, and so, I mean, from a theological perspective, now we're in the realm, the same discussion of fasts. And Pharisees. And Pharisees. And, and I, I have it in my notes. Asceticism without the gospel mm-hmm. always leads to work right, works righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the same thing in, in the modern church when we talk about prescribed piety. You know, where I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with girls that do, sort of a thing. This is what that ends up being. So, or the more, or the more scriptural version of you walk around with your faces looking sullen and weak because you've been fasting. So everybody notices that yeah. you have been walking around. You know it's, that it's way. It's like Twitter devotions. Yes. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, uh, a chamomile with, tea and a vase of flowers in my perfectly intact study Bible opened up to. Proverbs 3. With the sun shining beautifully just down. It's a photo op, right? But all of this, I mean, again, this topic 
is like the worst possible amalgamation of like eight or nine different threads of bad theology. Hmm. And and the church has to unpack this in layers and deal with it well. So hmm. how do we do that? Carefully. <laughs> Patiently. Uh, I let Brett ask the questions because he's yeah. better at asking the questions, but it just, I felt like I had to yeah, after you said go. that. Right. You know, you know, I think of two modern day pastors in this of, you know, we've known, we have pastor friends that were unmarried for a season and it wasn't as if they were uh, forced to not marry or, or anything like that. But it, it's, um, yeah, it, there's a, there was a freedom there for them to be unmarried if they so would choose that. Uh, but there was also the freedom for them to get married Um yeah, I guess I oh. just contrasting the way it is in in our circles in terms of you know relating that to to that issue. Well, Melanchthon in the Apology actually gives a twofold response to your question, sort of. Uh, in the specific issue of priestly celibacy, he's the the two responses the church have is one we should encourage unchaste people to get married. Right. The second one is we should encourage others not to hate the gift of chastity. Okay, so we should encourage people to get married. We should celebrate marriage. We should promote it. We should especially promote it among the young. Uh, we need to personally, uh, we need to get out of this habit in the 21st century of live your life, get established, and then in the mid-30s, get married. Because what you've almost ended up doing is trained yourself to be selfish. And then once you've done everything for yourself now, in adulthood, you've got to figure out how to live with someone else who's also trained themselves to be selfish. And now, pause, I'm not saying everyone who gets married in their mid-30s, that's what they're doing. Right. But the message of the church has paralleled society in this, is that you go to college, you kind of sow your wild oats... You get your life put together, you start to earn some money, and when you got it all figured out, then you find someone else who's done the exact same thing, have your 2.4 kids, have a golden retriever, have an orange and black cat, and live your perfect Instagram life now. <laughs> Is that a book? Uh, I, I, I just sold 100,000 copies. Yeah. <laughs> she just did. Pre-order. Yeah, Pre-order. Yeah, pre-order right yeah. now. It's my first... But, that's what it looks like, and, and we should be celebrating marriage. You know, the when when people in their early twenties get married, everyone yeah. kind of cringes. Yeah. No, let them be married. Yeah. And, and, and I, let them learn together. I taught our class on relationships this year, and we talked a lot about the nature of if you have the desire to marry, and you are you know dating somebody, and and they're in the Lord, and it, you, you guys are both in the Lord, trusting you know, you have faith in Him and you're tempted in that way, there is a biblical prescription there of God has given you the gift of marriage. And I think it's important to note the desire to want to be with a woman. This might be a place the opposite for... opposite sex. Of the, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm saying for a guy. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. uh, might want to pause if you have kids. Sexual desire is okay. <laughs> it's a gift from God. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, a gift from yeah. God. It's an appetite that God has designed, and, and it, it has intention. It has procreation. He, he be fruitful and multiply was uh, the the command that He empowered in Adam and Eve through a desire, right? And that desire is good, and it's okay. And to get married is good. I have one example, and I got to be careful because I don't want to call anybody out on the air that doesn't know that they're, they're going to be called out, but. Uh, my, my class, if they're listening to this, they'll know who I'm talking about. We, we had a young couple get married between the first year and second year 
uh, of the Bible college here. So they were young. They're not, and, and to listen to their testimony of how they came to that decision, the maturity with which they came to that decision, I would blow pretty much any... Yep. Any other argument out of the water saying, you know, well, the young people can't marry. Yes, they absolutely can. They can make the right commitments. They can make the right uh, vows and they can commit to each other in such a way that is absolutely godly, right. And the desires and the re- rationale was intentional. It was, it was purposeful and they knew that. Well, and in the scriptural definition of marriage is that you have a helpmate. You, you, you are, you know, it is not good for man to be alone. God says that about Adam and Eve. And in every wedding sermon I've ever preached, I point out to, to you know, to your uh, point, Adam, about attraction and desire. Adam sees Eve for the first time. He does what every single guy ever has done. He composes poetry. <laughs> tries to, you know, he tries to woo her, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. And, and, and that's said tongue in cheek, but it, you're, you're right. It's a good thing. So that's the first part. Let's get back to celebrating and encouraging marriage. Yep. Get, get pastors back to taking premarital counseling yep. seriously. Amen. I just, let's, just have done that recently with a few yep. couples. I, I love it. It's rewarding. Yeah. Let's reintroduce the teaching about vocation mm-hmm. into premarital counseling. Uh, let's... Uh, equip the church to equip young families through the difficulties of learning how to be married. It's not easy. And God designs both ends of that spectrum that Melanchthon talks about, you know, that marriage isn't a bad thing, neither is celibacy. Let's, let's view. And, and to see those two things go back and forth, we, we see it in that picture of marriage. Marriage is a good thing and it can actually help pastors. I think of, of situations that I've had in my ministry that, I would not have been able to navigate as well alone as I was able to having had a wife. Yep. Conversely, we hear Paul say, I wish everybody was single as I am. I had that gift of celibacy. I wish that everybody was like that because I know that there are going to be hard things. Uh, attentions will be divided between what the ministry is. And, and to be frank with you, I mean, I look around the world today. And we have, we, you know, uh, recently we've seen, you know, a variety of, of these attacks and, on churches. Uh, and specifically, I think of one that, that happened some time ago in, in Nigeria now, um, that was during a church service. And I look at that and I think I would have a much harder time in, in a world with hostile toward Christians. I, I don't care what you do to me. Wait, you much can come and you can take me, family. but don't mess with my wife and certainly don't mess with my little ones. And, and that does divide one's attention. And you can see the argument either way. And, and the point in the scriptures and that Paul makes is, Either are okay, you know, to look at, at what God has called you to, to, to navigate those questions in your own life and go about, you know, go about making the decisions that God would want you to make. It's okay. And Paul is extremely clear on that. Well, and that's the second half of what we take with, with Melanchthon. He said, encourage others not to hate the gift of chastity. The other thing churches need to do better in this is not treat the single people in our congregation like they're ogres. Mm-hmm. You know, don't treat them like yep. Shrek, you know, where they're a necessary evil in an expendable resource. Or <laughs> even even different than that, not only not treat them like ogres, but don't treat them like uh, merchandise. Yep. Hey, we have this lovely young person. We should get them married because we don't know without, I mean, as pastors, maybe we could talk with them about those things. But 
Maybe they are being called. Maybe God has a specific time in their life where they're being called to singleness, and, and he, has, he has vocations that he's called them to, that they are to live out single. And, and, and I think we do both things. We treat them like ogres, and we also treat them like merchandise. And once we start treating them like merchandise, then, then we make uh, uh, an idol, if, we, if you will, of out of marriage. marriage. Exactly. And we, I mean, we, we kind of blunt all of the nuance in this, that someone who is single might have the gift of singleness and, and still might wrestle with that, you know, that, that they might not be okay with that in whatever time or phase of life they're going through right now. And so much is done in this area in the church indelicately, without care, mm-hmm. uh, and especially with not the care of souls and love for neighbor. But, but you know, e- even in the prayers the church prays sometimes, and I, and I use uh, for the prayer of the church during our service, I use a scripted prayer so it doesn't go on and on and on and on and on. And sometimes the prayer I use glorifies families, which we should do at the expense of the single person. And so I always try to reword those. To, you, know, you have the lifelong single person. You also have the widow or the widower. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, all of this comes in. Marriage is a gift from God. Singleness is a gift from God. And sometimes at the same time, they are crosses to bear. And, and we, you know, we, we completely obliterate the nuance in this as if uh, one of these things is, we recognize as a gift from God and it's going to be all tulips and bunny rabbits and butterflies for the rest of your life either way. And that's not the case. But why can we find that nuance in difficult situations in other parts of our life? But, but why do we keep bludgeoning this area with some random club that doesn't fit? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I, I, I think that's the answer here. And all of that comes out of the indelicacy that the Roman Catholic Church was handling this issue with right. yep. 500 years ago. Right. Yeah, and I don't know if we've mentioned this too, but even today too, thinking of the scandals that mm-hmm. that still happen, um, and, and I would add to that, you know, it, it's not just uh, Roman Catholics that deal with with those kinds of scandals. Um, I want to be careful to say that too, but and it's not only single people, right? That right. deal with those not kinds of scandals. Not only Roman Catholics, not only right. singles. We're we're dealing with the massive. Uh, immorality scandal right now in the SBC in the Southern right. Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And even as Lutherans, we say this isn't, we're not immune to this. Not you know? yeah. uh, the way well, we handled, yeah. well, go ahead, Brett. No, just saying, you know, even here, you know, we're, we're not saying, we're, we're trying to call out sin so that there's repentance and, and faith. It, whether it's Catholic priests, uh, whether it's you know Roman or uh, SBC pastors or Lutheran, I mean whoever it is, uh, to call people to repentance. The, yeah, the the purpose in addressing this is repentance, and it's also humility. So I, I you know, I'm I'm not the biggest D.L. Moody fan in the world, but I think there's a lot of weight to that quote he gets attributed there. But for the grace of God, go I. Mm-hmm. To understand our weaknesses, the weakness of human flesh the potentiality we all have of sinning if we're not constantly guarding our lives, if we're not constantly living in repentance and then comforted by the grace of God and salvation, any one of us can stumble and fall. None of us have a an objectifiable immunity, you know, objective immunity to these issues. Mm-hmm. So, so we pause, we act with humility, and we act with biblical consistency. And, and the problem that we see 500 years ago and the problem that we see today is it has not been done and it is not currently being done well. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's important 
you know, we, we haven't touched on this and I'm sure we will in, in future weeks as we look at the, the scriptures related to this, but at the end of the day, God has given a, a, an order or design in which this can be lived out right, both for the, the person called to chastity or abstinence or however we wanted to find that, or the person called to marriage. And that's vocation. Within the confines, God has set up specific boundaries where these gifts can be uh, used and enjoyed and expressed. And I think that once we've you know, understood that rightly, that helps us appreciate what we've been given and that repentance and that faith all the more is understanding that God has good in his goodness has given us an order to live in. He's given us, he's given us a vocation. He's given us a calling to enjoy the gifts uh, that are in accordance with the desires uh, and appetites that are from him. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on Article 23 of the Augsburg Confession, looking at an Old Testament passage and its application. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.